Amen. Amen. One last time from up here, can we thank our worship team for leading us? Roxy, hold on. Roxy, Roxy. You guys, and, and our whole worship team is amazing, but this is incredible to me. Did you know that Roxy just graduated high school, literally like two days before coming up here to camp, and now she's leading you in worship? Is that incredible or what? So hold on, Roxy. Hold on, Roxy. Hold on, hold on. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. The scriptures say, the scriptures say, I'm so sorry, Roxy, come here real quick. The scriptures say, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. At 17 years old, she's leading over 500 people in worship. That could be you as well. Give it up for Roxy. Good job, Roxy. So cool. So cool. So cool. So cool. Hmm. Gosh. We have had a good week together. This has been a really, really good time. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I just had a kind of a hard time sleeping last night, just thinking about what happened in this space. I mean, it's no understatement to say that every single one of us witnessed with our own eyes the greatest miracle in the history of the world. People who were lost becoming found, those that are spiritually dead becoming spiritually alive. I mean, that was absolutely incredible. And as much as all of us would love to stay up here at Hume, and in some ways it feels like this is kind of what heaven's going to be like, the reality is God is not just inviting us, he's calling us home. He's calling us back to the places that we left a week ago to bear witness, to share what Jesus has done in each one of our lives. And so for those of you that were, that, that just encountered Jesus this week, and, and he's just become so real for you through his word in worship, in the proclamation of his word, through cabin conversations with your amazing leaders. For, for all of you that, that just this week, Jesus became real for you. You gotta go home and you gotta tell people. You gotta share what he has done. You gotta keep getting to know him, reading your Bibles and praying and staying connected to your community. But I wanna end camp in a little bit of a weird way. I just want to acknowledge there's a little bit of a weird ending, but as I was praying and thinking about our time, it just felt like I, I want to talk to a group of people, to those of you that are in this room who still have questions, who still have doubts, who aren't totally certain about this whole Jesus thing. For those of you, if I'm describing you if you're going, yeah, I saw people respond, but I'm just not sure about me. Maybe I don't fit in this community. I don't know where to go from here. Tonight's message is for you, but it's actually for all of you because this is what I like to call kind of a, a, a back pocket message. And what I mean by that is this is a message I want you to tuck in your back pocket because every one of us is going to need it at some point. And maybe there's some of you that need it right now, but I guarantee all of you will need it at some point. 
I became a Christian in August of 2001. And I was so excited about following Jesus. I had a great youth group. I had an awesome youth pastor and small group leaders. I had great friends. It was up at a camp. I mean, it was an amazing experience. And then September 11th, 2001 happened. I don't think any of you students were alive for that. But there was a terrorist attack on the World Trade Centers, on the towers that... I remember waking up that morning and watching my parents watch the news. I remember going to school and none of us knew how to respond to this. I remember as a new Christian thinking, is this the end of the world? Like I just became a Christian and now is everything over? I remember almost immediately on the news, they started talking about how there was going to be a draft, that, that there might need to be a draft to fight some future war. And you guys, when I was a freshman in high school, I was like four foot 10, weighed like 95 pounds, okay? So just picture me fighting in a war, like not a good picture, you know what I mean? Like not a good look. I remember being full of fear about this. I remember around that time, we got a computer in our house that had the internet. And back in, and I know it'll be hard to imagine this, but, but for me, when we first got this computer that had the internet, you would kind of log on, you'd type in your username and your password, you'd click enter to, to like kind of kickstart the internet, and you could go away and, and memorize the whole book of Leviticus and then come back and the internet would be ready. Like that's how, that's how slow the thing was. It took forever. But I remember being able to like browse the internet and I, I found this article that the title of it was something like, Jesus is a myth, he never existed. I remember reading this article where these guys were, were arguing that, that Jesus was not a real historical person, that he was a myth, a made-up person. I remember at that same time of my life, experiencing a lot of fear that something really bad was going to happen to me. I, uh, at that time, I was um, subscribed to this, like, Sports Illustrated for Kids. I don't know if they still even have that, but I did Sports Illustrated for Kids. We'd get magazines with, like, famous athletes doing cool stuff. And after I'd been subscribed for a while, they sent me this giant life-size poster of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar so that you could kind of see, like, how tall you were next to him. And, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he was seven foot two. He, he played for the Bucks, and then he played for the Lakers a little bit later. And, and I remember putting this up in my room. And, and I, I used to have a, a real difficult time falling asleep at night. I'd get really, really scared at night. And I remember going to sleep one night, and I would sleep with my blinds open. And as I woke up, it was just a full moon. So there was so much light coming to my room. And it shined so perfectly on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that this seven-foot-two guy became like a ten-foot-two guy. And he was like towering over me. And I remember literally being like, ah, just like screaming. In this season of my life, there was so much fear. There was so much uncertainty. There was some doubts beginning to creep into my life. I started to have some really big questions about God. And I didn't know then what I know now, that no one argues whether Jesus historically existed. 
I don't know where this article came from, but that's, that's insane to think that. Atheists, people who don't believe in God, believe that Jesus existed. It's just a matter of whether he rose from the dead or not. But the point is this, that all of a sudden I started to have a lot of doubts and a lot of questions, and I didn't know what to do with them. And there's some of you right now who you still have doubts and questions about God, about the Bible, about following Jesus. And so tonight I want to make it really, really practical because we're going back into a world that is going to throw lots of questions and doubts at you. And I'm sure you have many of them already circling your head. And so what do you do? What do we do? Your doubts are not unclimbable walls. They are hurdles to jump over. That a doubt or a question you have about the Bible, about Jesus, about God, it's not an unclimbable wall that as soon as it pops into your mind, you go, well, I got to abandon everything now. No, it's a hurdle to jump. It's a question to address. And one of the millions of reasons that I love the Bible is because it tells so many stories of relatable people who are just like you and just like me. And did you know that there's a story at the end of the Gospel of John, which we've been studying all week, that John, who wrote the Gospel of John, chose to include this story that features one of the core 12. One of the 12 disciples closest to Jesus, who like maybe some of you, doubted. Who had questions. Who wasn't certain that he could put his faith in Jesus. And by John telling us his story, it is going to give you and I a roadmap for what to do with our questions and what to do with our doubts. Because if you don't have them right now, by the time you go down the hill and you live in your life for a week or so, a month, you're going to have some doubts and some questions. What do we do? Here's the title of tonight's talk, and I want you to write this down. Five steps for moving forward when you still have questions. Five steps for moving forward when you still have questions. It begins here, find me in John chapter 20. We've been studying it all week, but it's towards the very end of John's historical account of the life of Jesus. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19, goes like this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, let's pause there for a minute. The disciples are in a room, locked up, Jesus has already died. Some of them have seen him come back from the dead, but the text says they are afraid. And that's what doubts and questions can sometimes do within us is we become afraid. We become anxious. They're absolutely afraid that they're going to be persecuted, that what they saw Jesus go through, they also will have to go through. Let me check out what happens. Jesus came and stood among them. The doors were locked. The doors were locked. They're terrified. 
Have any of you ever watched a scary movie before? And then any creak that your house makes, like any noise, you're like, we're going to die. Like you just get freaked out, right? These disciples are in that place where every sound creates fear in them. Every turning of the doorknob elicits some kind of, of concern or question within them. They're antsy, they're nervous, they're feeling a little jittery. Every sound causes some fear within them. And then Jesus shows up, surprises them and says, peace be with you. Can you imagine how scary that would be? Can you imagine when you're just terrified, you're kind of looking around and all of a sudden Jesus, he didn't like, he didn't, I, I just, I think Jesus is funny. Like he's just funny, right? Like he didn't knock on the door and he wasn't like, hey guys, it's me. Like it's me, open the door. They're huddled, they're nervous. He jumps up, he's like, what's up guys, right? Freaks them out. I don't know if he did. That's just how I see it. Anyway, here we go. Verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They realized who it was. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus says, guys, I'm back. I'm here. And I've got a purpose and a mission for you, and it's to go out. Now, you are the sent ones to your families, to your schools, to your sports programs, to your friends, to your neighborhood. You are the ones that are sent out. And then jump to verse 24. Now, Thomas also known as Didymus, was one of the 12 and was not with the disciples when Jesus came. What a bummer, right? Like all of us have FOMO, right? All of us have a fear of missing out. Thomas is the mo in FOMO, right? Like he missed out. Like he, he, he missed the invitation. He slept in. Somehow he didn't show up at the right time. But then look what happens, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. I want to pause there for a second. Some of you, you have seen the Lord this week. You've seen him transform your friends. You've seen him transform your life. You've encountered him in such a real powerful way. And you're like these other disciples. You want to tell those around you who Jesus is. But maybe there's some of you here and all of you will be at this place at some point where you're not sure about it, where you've still got some questions. And step number one for moving forward, even when you still have questions, step number one is this. Be real about your questions. Be real about your questions. Continuing in verse 25, but Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, this isn't just like a secondary issue. This is the core to the Christian faith is that we believe Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead. And Thomas is saying, yeah, guys, I don't believe it. 
I'm not convinced. And what I love about Thomas right here is he, he models something really important for us, and it's this. If you've got doubts, if you've got questions, voice them. Be real and honest about them. Don't try to just keep them to yourself. We, we fear that if we voice these doubts that, that it will somehow make them real. The reality is they already are real. They're in our heads. They're in our minds. And I've seen people take two paths with their doubts and their questions. They either avoid them or they address them. And if you avoid your doubts and questions, I can guarantee that you will find yourself farther and farther and farther away from God. But if you choose to address your doubts, I can promise you he is going to show up. He is going to speak to you in and through his word and all the other amazing ways that God speaks to us. He is going to show up, but you've got to be real. And I feel like there's, there's maybe no better example of just, uh, just authenticity and realness than when a kid writes a letter to Santa. Maybe some of you have done this recently. Maybe, maybe you have little siblings who do this. When you write a letter to Santa, like you're being your full, honest selves. I'm going to show you a few that, that just make me laugh every time I read them. The first one is this. This is from Brinley. Many of you met Brinley, my daughter. She just like says exactly what's on her mind. Like she is such a strong, strong personality. This was her letter to Santa when she was two and a half. Sarah wrote it down for her, but this is what she said. She said, dear Santa, thank you for giving me presents and I love you. It's starting out really nice. Bye-bye. And then she lists what she wants. Minnie's boutique airplane. I want a cruise ship. And then she said this, I love you. You love me. Like how like demanding is she, right? Like you love me. And then she says this, you can sit on my lap. I'm not sitting on your lap. <laughs> Who says that to Santa? Who says that? You guys, check out this next one. Check out this next one. This was Lila. This is sweet Lila. She still has those pigtails. This is sweet Lila. When she was two and a half, this was her letter. She said, dear Santa, I don't know. LOL dolly, lollipop and chapstick. That's all. I want to get a lollipop. Mama, please. A lollipop. Mama, please. <laughs> I love that, right? Like she became so worked up. She became so distressed. She's just being... She's, she's being honest. Check out this other one I found. I, I, like, I love this one. You ready? Here's the next one. I don't know if you can read it. It says this. Dear Santa, I'm Jewish. Like, I just love that. I just love that. Out the gate. I don't know why, but whatever. That's, you know, dear Santa, he's, I, he's just, I'm just going to be honest with you. Don't want to try to fool you. Let me just be real. I'm Jewish, but I really love you. Can you give me a present, though? If you don't know what I look like, I have dark brown hair and brown eyes. Love you. Please don't give me coal. How sad, right? Please don't give me coal. Love you, and I'm nine years old. Okay, here's the next one. I really like this one. Check out this one. Dear Santa, how are you? I'm good. Here is what I want for Christmas and the world's longest URL ever. World's longest URL ever. You guys, I feel like, I feel like this kid like misbehaved or something and his parents were like, you know, if you want Santa to get you the right thing, you got to write the whole URL out. And he just kind of had to write all that out or check out this one. Here's the last one. Check this out. 
Dear Santa, Santa, if you're bringing presents with batteries, bring batteries. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's so true, right? Here's the thing, though. Let me spiritualize this for a second. Why is it that little children can be so honest with Santa, and yet so many of us struggle to be actually honest about the biggest questions of life with God, with our youth pastors, with our small group leaders? Why are we so quick to put on this front that we've got it all figured out, that we have no questions or doubts? When the reality is, we will at times. All of us do. I do. Step one, Thomas models for us. Be real about your doubts. Number two is this. Step number two is this. Choose to remain in community. Step number two, choose to remain in community. Look what happens next. This is crazy. A week Later, if you like to underline your Bible, underline these, this, these two words, week later. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and then underline, and Thomas was with them. I just want to stop right there for a second. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. All the disciples are there, and Thomas was with them. Do you know what this tells me? That a whole seven days had gone by, after Thomas said, hey, dudes, I understand all of you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't believe it. And yet seven days later, he's still hanging out with the disciples. That even though he has questions, even though he has doubts, he hasn't chosen to remove himself from community, but instead he has remained in the community. You all have an incredible gift right in front of you that maybe you're not even fully aware of, but you have committed youth pastors, committed small group leaders, committed counselors who are willing to walk with you, who want to come alongside you, and they can't force you to youth group. They can't force you to connect with them, but you have an amazing community here. And I beg you that when the questions and the doubts come, choose to remain in your community. The worst thing you could do is say, you know what? I don't believe all that stuff that Christians talk about, so I'm gonna remove myself from them. And Thomas doubted the biggest claim of our faith and yet for some reason he said, but I'm not gonna give up on these relationships. I'm gonna stay invested and connected. Students, I wanna invite you to trust Jesus and the church community you're a part. I wanna trust, I wanna invite you to trust Jesus fully even when you don't understand him fully. Even when there's questions and uncertainties, I wanna invite you to stay connected to your community. You know, sometimes we, we get prayer all mixed up in our heads and we think, okay, if I'm gonna pray to God, I gotta say all these fancy words, I gotta know all these fancy Bible verses, it's gotta be a really long prayer. You know what's the best prayer in this moment? If you're in this phase, if you're questioning and doubting, one of the best prayers you can say is just this, Jesus, will you help me? Jesus, I'm, I'm really questioning whether the Bible is true. Will you help me? 
Jesus, I'm not sure that you actually rose from the dead. Will you help me? Jesus, I've got this question about and this, this verse that I read today. Will you help me? And then bring that to your community. Number three is this. Step number three is this. Make room. So now I want to talk to those of you that are part of communities, that are part of a youth group, and maybe you have someone in your midst who's doubting, wrestling, has these questions. This one's for you. Make room for people to ask questions. Make room for people to ask questions. I literally want to look at the same verse, but from the other perspective, from the other angle, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. You know what that tells me? Even though Thomas didn't believe everything that they believed, which they had seen with their own eyes. I mean, how frustrating would that have been? You literally saw Jesus come back from the dead. You're telling one of your best friends, and he's like, yeah, I'm not buying it. That'd be so frustrating. And yet... Even though Thomas didn't believe everything they believed, they made room for him. They didn't kick him out of youth group. They didn't kick him out of friendships. They didn't stop inviting him to hang out, to be in community with them. Students, the church, and this is not just the responsibility of your youth pastors and your leaders. This is your responsibility, students. The church should be the safest place to doubt, to ask questions, and to seek answers. Students, I want to ask you a question. Are you making your youth group a safe place for people to ask questions? I'm not asking, is your youth pastor doing that? I'm asking you, are you? Are you welcoming people who don't believe all the same things you believe quite yet? Are you making room for them? And then step number four, check this one out. Do your research by seeking answers. Step number four, do your research by seeking answers. Look what happens next. The end of verse 26. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He does the same thing again. I love it. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You see, because Thomas remained in the community and they made room for him, he was in the right place to experience and encounter Jesus. But Jesus invited him to do his research. Jesus invited him to test this. He had to reach out and touch his sides. He, he had to feel his hands. He had to see it with his own eyes. And notice, Jesus did not ridicule him for doubting, but he invited him to research. I want to ask you, students, I want to beg you, hear this. Your great questions deserve great answers. And throughout your life, you're going to have great questions about God, about the Bible, about faith what it means to follow Jesus. Those great questions deserve great answers. So many in our culture right now, they'll throw out a question and then they'll use it as justification to sin or they'll use it as justification to turn their back on God. But I wanna challenge you to be like Thomas, to do the research, to seek the answers. Jesus can handle your doubts and he wants to answer them by showing up. But he's inviting you to do the research. He's, he's inviting you to be invested. 
I remember during this time that I was telling you about at the very beginning of our message where I was really doubting and wrestling with my faith. I remember even feeling like maybe everything I learned about at camp was, was just wrong, was off. Maybe it was a myth. Maybe it was a lie. But I kept showing up to church. And we'd have youth group on Sunday mornings, and then we'd go to main service. And, and I remember a number of months went by, and I was still reading my Bible, but in the back of my mind, I, I, I was going, is any of this real? And I remember praying and asking God, said, God, would you help me? God, would you show me that you're real? I'm really struggling right now. Months and months and months went by, and then I was at church one Sunday morning. And I grew up in a Presbyterian church, a wonderful, wonderful Presbyterian church, but that was very structured. And I remember one morning, right as our pastor was about to give, stand up and kind of give the benediction, like, like the closing remarks, he stands up and right as he's about to share, a woman in the church stands up. And I grew up Presbyterian, again, didn't grow up like Pentecostal or Assemblies of God or anything like that. So this woman stands up in the middle of the benediction. I'm like, oh, this is awesome, right? Like, Something crazy is going to happen. And she stands up and she says, Pastor Mark, I feel like God gave me a message last night and told me to share it with the church because somebody here needs to hear this message. And I was like, y'all, this does not happen in Presbyterian churches. Like, this is incredible. And Pastor Mark, being so spirit-led, he said, yeah, yeah, you've got something to share. Go ahead and say it. And everybody in the church leaned in because they're like, this is either going to be crazy, like insane, or this is going to change our lives. She stood up and she began to read these words. And in the back of my mind are all the thoughts that God doesn't love me, God doesn't see me, that I'm scared and I'm afraid. And then she boldly says these words. She said, what I'm about to read, I felt like God put on my heart in there from various scripture verses, but he told me to write it as if he was speaking it to you. And then this is what she read. I am with you, my beloved. I will never leave you or forsake you. My word is true and I keep my promises. You can trust me and only me. Keep your eyes focused on me for I will lead the way. My way is safe and you will be protected. Do not fear. Fear is not something that I give. I give peace and hope and joy. I am the prince of peace. Fear is from the enemy. He wants to hold you in his grip and blind you, but I have come to set the captives free. My grip is secure, but it does not bind. Come to me. Find comfort in me. I am the lover of your soul. Take refuge in the one who loves you, holds you, protects you. You are safe in my loving care. Stick close. We are in this together, never to be separated like a lost child. I don't lose my children. They are eternally safe with me. Eternally means forever and ever. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? Do you think that I would leave you at such a time as this, leaving you is beyond my comprehension. I say again, I do not leave my children. They are safe in my keeping, but only in mine. Don't be fooled by imposters. Stay as close as you have ever stayed. Don't you dare let go of my hand. Stay connected to the vine, your source of life and breath. You must not stray, for it is dangerous. 
but you need not fear. I can conquer all. I am your strength and your power. Watch and see what I can accomplish. It will boggle your mind, but that is good. Your cage needed rattling. It was perched on an unstable foundation, but be sure I will not let you fall. Wait and see what I will do. I will do great things for I am the great and powerful I am. Wait and see, wait and see. But remember to hold fast as you wait, always looking above. Trust me and wait. And friends, I can't describe exactly what I felt in that moment because it was so deep within. I just sensed God spoke to this woman to speak to me. And it was a game changer for me. And I continued to research and explore and find answers to my questions and it strengthened my faith. And then look what happened. Step number five is this. Rejoice by trusting Jesus and following him. Rejoice by trusting Jesus and follow him. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, in this moment, understood the cost of following Jesus. He used a very political phrase when he said, my Lord and my God, because the emperor Domitian at that time in Rome would require that whenever he walked through a town or a city or a village, that everyone in that town or city or village would have to line up and bow down before him. And as he walked through, he would, he would require them to call this Domitian, this emperor, my Lord and my God. And here's Thomas going, no, 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 I have discovered who the true Lord and God is. It's not an emperor. It's not some other leader. It's not some other movement. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And here's what's crazy, you guys. Thomas, history tells us, Thomas took Jesus's words earlier that he missed, but must have heard as he was reconnecting with Jesus to, to go out into the world that he has now sent, Thomas becomes the very first missionary to India. He's the very first person to go to India to share the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world, that he's risen from the dead, and that we can be forgiven and have life to the full in Christ and in Christ alone. And a couple of years ago, I was in Thailand, and while I was in Thailand, I met a man there, an Indian man who was a follower of Jesus, and I was asking him about his faith, how he became a Christian. He said, well, my family's been Christian for so many years now that we actually credit the disciple Thomas who brought the message of Jesus to my family. And the reason I'm a follower of Jesus today is because of Thomas's obedience in the first century. Did you connect the dots there that, that, that Thomas, who at the very beginning of this interaction, at the very beginning of this passage, he says, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. That by following these steps, 
by being real about his doubts and his questions, by remaining in the community, by being a part of a community that made room for him, by doing the research and then rejoicing and following Jesus that he, that he introduced the country of India to Christ. And then eventually, Thomas is murdered. He's martyred because of the message he carried. You see, there are some of you here who right now you're doubting. And you could either say, you know what, camp was cool, but I don't know about all that Jesus Bible stuff. I'm just going to go back to my old way of living. And you will miss out. You will miss out if you do that on the amazing adventure and calling that God has for your life. And just because you have doubts and questions doesn't mean that you can't be a part of God's family. Doesn't mean that you can't be a part of your church. You need to research those. You need to look into those. Because even right now, students, God wants to do incredible things in and through your life. I want to tell you about a girl named Abigail in our youth group. Abigail is, uh, she's a sophomore in high school. And uh, Abigail went on this missions trip in our local city where we went around to parks and we were playing with kids and passing out Bibles and sharing Jesus. Abigail meets with this girl, Alexis. And as they're talking, Alexis is in junior high and Abigail is telling Alexis about Jesus and, and Alexis had never heard of Jesus before. And so Abigail starts opening a Bible and showing her some verses. And Alexis begins to get so excited about this Jesus she's never heard of before. She chose in that moment to surrender her life to Christ. Abigail, this sophomore in high school, got to walk this junior higher into a relationship with Jesus. What's crazy is a few days later, Abigail calls Alexis to check in on her to see how she's doing. And Alexis answers the phone and she goes, yeah, you know what? Like, I've been reading those verses you told me to read. I've been telling my family and my friends about it. And she says this, she goes, I literally have like, like five of my friends are, are here at my house with me right now. Could I put you on speakerphone and you tell them about Jesus the way that you told me about Jesus? And so Abigail, over the phone, over speakerphone, tells her friends, tells Alexis's friends about Jesus. And over the phone, all five of her friends surrender their lives to Jesus. That's incredible. That's incredible. And here's the thing. I, I don't remember much of middle school or high school. I don't remember the sports games. I don't remember the grades I got. I don't remember the stresses about the different tests. There was, there's so much about middle school and high school that I have completely forgotten. But it's moments like that that you'll never forget. It's moments like that that bring you to life in a way that nothing else ever could. A couple months ago, I was uh, flying home from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I was officiating a wedding out there, and, and my wife and I were flying home. And, and as we were flying home, um, I was sitting in the middle seat. My wife was right here at the window seat, and I had this guy sitting next to me. I remember I was kind of listening to some worship music and just kind of hanging out and thinking about the wedding and how cool it was. And, and all of a sudden, I felt like I heard God whisper to me, I want you to tell the man next to you that I love him. I immediately was like, 
no. Like, no. I'm like, God, we're wearing masks. Like, this is awkward. Like, how do we talk? People are going to hear us. Like, this is going to be so weird. I was like, no, I don't want to do this. And so then I was like, okay, God, this freaks me out. But if this is from you, like, if you want me to do this, then would you like make him put his phone down? Because for up to this point, we're about two hours into the flight. He was zoned in on his phone the entire flight with no end in sight. So I just said, okay, God, if you want me to do this, would you help? Would you make him put his phone down? And then I opened my eyes and guess what? He was still playing on his phone. I was like, awesome, right? Like I don't have to do something embarrassing and weird now. I look over to my wife and I was talking to her about something, and right as I was looking at her, out of the corner of my eye, I see him put his phone down. And I look at Sarah, and I'm like, Sarah, I gotta, I gotta do something real quick. And I look at this guy, and I say, hey, man, like, my name's Eric, and he introduces his name. He said, my name's Jose, and I said, I know this sounds really crazy, but we're on an airplane, but, and we got masks on, but um, I just felt like God told me to tell you that he loves you, that Jesus knows you and he loves you. And this guy, he starts to get tears in his eyes. And then he's one of those people who talks at like the loudest volume ever. You know what I mean? You know those people? He starts at the loudest volume ever going, thank you for telling me that. Like, thank you. Like, I, I've gone through all of these hard things in my life. And he starts telling me, he goes, I've been through five really, really hard seasons of my life. And every single time I've been in one of those hard seasons, God has in some crazy way told me how much he loves me. And right now I'm in this really, really hard season. And you reminded me that God loves me. And like eight people are staring at us. And I'm like, oh, like just... But you guys, those are the kinds of lives that God desires for us to live. It's possible to live your entire life, make a lot of money, have a family, be successful, and to be completely empty. And there is a difference between breathing and living. And Jesus has invited you and called every one of you to a life full of him at the very center. I just want to close with this story. A couple months ago, there was a funeral for a guy at our church named Bob. Bob was an older dude at the church, and, and Bob loved our youth group. In fact, he, he would come to youth group events. He would stick his hands and like, spaghetti and do all these things just to love on students. When Bob passed away, there were so many of us at his funeral and everyone got up. People just started getting up and sharing about Bob's life. And you know what they didn't talk about? They didn't talk about how much money Bob made. They didn't talk about what school Bob went to. They didn't really talk a whole ton about all of the accomplishments, though there were many in Bob's life. You know what they talked about? They talked about over and over and over again how Bob reminded them of Jesus and how Bob pointed them to Jesus and how Bob 
was an example in their lives and an encourager to continue following Jesus. And as the service is going on, I'm just getting inspired. And so I start writing a bunch of notes in my phone. And, and after the service, I get in the car and I drive back to my house and, and, and I, I get all my family together. So I'm like, Sarah, I need you to come here. And I get all four kids. And you guys have seen, they're still little. I got all four kids. I sit them on the couch and I'm like, guys, I got to tell you something. And I know what I'm about to tell you. What I said to them, I recognize is not going to get me dad of the year. Okay, I understand it's not going to get me dad of the year. But I set them down and I said, guys, I need to tell you something. And even as I think about it, I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is good. Levi's only three. I look at him and I'm like, guys, someday you're going to die. <laughs> I know, not good parenting. Not good parenting. Not good parenting. But I said, guys, someday you're going to die. And here's the thing. There will be some kind of funeral for you and people will get up and they will share about you. They will talk about the impact you had on their life. And I just asked my kids this question. What do you want them to say? Students, this life is so short. And there is so much opportunity. What do you want people to say about your life? What do you want your life to be about? I beg you to make the best choice you could possibly make. And it's to decide that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And that the best way to spend your energy and your life is putting him first and following him forever. And when you have questions and when you have doubts, follow Thomas's example. Because God will use those doubts and those questions to help someone else in the future and your life will be more significant than anything you could ever imagine. Why? It's not because of anything special about you or I. It's because Jesus will be at the very center of it. That's my encouragement to you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, a week of getting to open your word together. A week of getting to have fun with each other a week of getting to wrestle with some really big questions and truths. God, I thank you that we've explored this week the truth of your existence, the truth of your word, the truth of your teachings, Jesus, and your miracles in your life, the truth of our sin and our brokenness the truth of your gospel, the death and resurrection that still has the power to save today. God, I thank you for tonight an opportunity to be honest that all of us will still have questions, will still doubt from time to time, but that your truth remains and we can push through if we'll follow Thomas's example because God, you are not done with us. 
and you have incredibly more than we could ever think or imagine in store for our lives. And I pray over every single one of these students that you would send them home on fire for you in a community that can continue to stoke that fire. And God, would their communities, their families, their friendships, their schools, their cities be radically changed by the gospel as it's lived out in every one of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.